Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glad to welcome you all this morning. My name is Larry Wilson. I'm a retired pastor, uh, pinch hitting uh, for Pastor Wilson this morning. Our call to worship, no, first, the Lord greets us. He welcomes us into his presence with his greeting. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Our call to worship comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Hear God's word. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hostility that divided us. He abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he could raise, he could create one new person out of the two groups making peace. He reconciled both to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. For through Christ, we both have access in the one Holy Spirit to the Father. Let's pray together. O loving triune God of grace, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how we praise and thank you that through Jesus Christ we have access to you by the Holy Spirit. We come to you to fellowship with you and with one another in your presence. We confess that in ourselves we have no right to come and fellowship with you, but we praise and thank you that in mercy you have made a way, a new and living way, a perfect way, the gracious doing and dying of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to you in his name, relying on his merits and on his mediation. But we also confess that in ourselves we have no ability to fellowship with you. But we praise and thank you that in mercy you give that ability, the gracious supernaturally, supernatural empowering of your Holy Spirit. And so we come to you relying on the Holy Spirit to work in us both to will and to do your good pleasure. O living God of grace, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we draw near to you in faith, please draw near to us in grace. Please use all the ordinances of worship as your tools in order to give us grace and help and to meet all our needs. Again, we ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's praise our Lord together in song. O God, we praise thee, hymn 105. Sarah, 
be seated. The closer we get to God, the guiltier and more unworthy we feel. But in love, God provides a way for us to get our consciences clean. In 1 John 1 verse 9, he promises, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Uh, So looking to Jesus Our Savior, let's join our hearts and our voices together and pray the prayer of confession in unison as we find it in the bulletin. Let's pray together. Holy God, Father most gracious, rebuke us not in your anger, nor chasten us in your wrath. Forgive us for our iniquities. Heal us from our sin, for we are troubled Deliver us for the sake of your steadfast love. Our sin disturbs us, O God. We are troubled by how we have hurt others. We are troubled by how they have hurt us. Your ways are right, O righteous God. And whenever we have refused to follow them, we have found out how right they are. Have mercy on us, O God. Holy God, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us for the sake of your Son, who died to free us from our sins. To you be honor and glory. Amen. The Lord doesn't leave us feeling guilty, but he gives us assurances of forgiveness and of new strength for new life. Listen to this promise from Psalm 103, verses 8 and following. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Thus far, God's word. That's what God promises. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. And the reason he can do that is because he has repaid Jesus Christ according to our iniquities. So if you're trusting in Jesus, this promise is for you. Jesus paid it all. Praise be to God. Let's stand together and sing, Not What My Hands Have Done, hymn 461.
and save my guilty soul. Not what my dwelling flesh has worn can make my soul. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can Please be seated, and we join together in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you acknowledging you as Lord of the universe, and we um, pray on behalf of the whole of mankind that you would give us peace, that you would care for our many needs, and that you would draw many to salvation. We pray for our civil rulers, for President Biden, Vice President Harris, for the Supreme Court, for our state government, our senators and representatives, for Governor Whitmer and Vice, uh, Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist. Um, we pray that you would cause them to govern us with justice and mercy. We ask that they would be given your wisdom, 
and not rely on their own. We ask that you would improve our state and our nation in your wisdom, using both rulers who know you and those who do not, to accomplish your holy will. And we ask that you would preserve our liberties, especially our freedom to preach and teach about you, to gather in your name and to worship you. For the church around the world, we ask that you would continue to be the shepherd of your sheep. Despite our many differences, we pray that your one true clear gospel would continue to be proclaimed and believed among all nations. We further pray that you would thwart those who would water it down to align with socially popular human wisdom. And we especially pray for your protection and strengthening of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, especially those in Russia, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Vietnam. We pray that you would continue to strengthen your missionaries around the world, continue to provide for their spiritual encouragement in distant lands and for their financial support through us and through other men and women of God. For our congregation, we acknowledge your lordship over this congregation and we ask that you would providentially continue to provide for all of our needs. We pray for our pastor, our elders, deacons, trustees, teachers of Christian education, that you would give them the energy and wisdom to fill their roles in a godly and effective manner. For our small children and grandchildren, we pray that your spirit would work within them. We ask that they would hear your gospel, that they would understand your gospel, that they would love your gospel and that throughout their lives they would see that true wisdom is found in you rather than in the world. For our adult children and grandchildren, we beg that you would continue to surround them with people who love their souls and who point them toward you. We ask that you would raise up Christ-centered churches near them, provide them with transportation and scheduling opportunities to get to those churches, and that you would fill their lives with joyful fellowship with other believers. We pray for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and for its many member congregations. In particular, this Lord's Day, we raise up Christ's Covenant, OPC in Midland, and David uh, and Rhonda. For all churches um, in our denomination and, and without that are experiencing tension within their congregation or conflict with other congregations, who are struggling to find leaders or are struggling financially, as you have brought these congregations together in your name, we ask that you would sustain them. For our daily needs, you know them better than even we do. We know that we have needs that are even hidden from ourselves, and we ask you to provide exactly what each of us needs, exactly at the time that it is needed. We particularly lift up these friends and family to you, we pray for Frida and for Tammy and her family, for Luca, Eduardo and Shirley, Jeff and Linda, Bob and Fawn, Margaret, Caroline, Jane, Becky, Vicky, Bob, Tom, Phil, Angie, Karen, and Dominic. 
We cling to your promises, and we anticipate the day when each of us will be made perfect and receive our crown of glory and enjoy unbroken fellowship with you forever. And Until then, we continue to cling to your promises that you will care for us in this life as well. Finally, for those that we know and love who do not know you, we pray that you would give us the opportunity and the boldness to share your gospel with them. For those who know you but despise that know your gospel but despise it, we pray that your spirit would work in them. We beg that you would intervene as only you can in the lives of these friends and relatives of ours to their eternal salvation, our own great joy, and your eternal glory. We pray all these things in the name of Christ Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If the ushers would come forward, we will collect our offering. And now let us pray our prayer for illumination as we prepare to hear God's word read and preached. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Uh, This is your gospel. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would enable us to hear and to understand, to believe and to obey. We pray that you would uh, strengthen nourish faith in us, 
and again conform us to the to the life of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our reading begins in Leviticus chapter eighteen, the first five verses. Hear now the word of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Our Psalter response is printed in the bulletin from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Our epistle reading is from Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from Jesus, from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you... Though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And finally, our gospel reading in Luke. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, and beat him, and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Of those scriptures, I chose those scriptures to go along with, with the sermon. And the sermon text actually comes from the story where Cephas or the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul had kind of a public showdown right in the middle of a church fellowship dinner. (laughs) Wouldn't that have been an uncomfortable moment? And what had happened was uh, the Apostle Peter had come to see this uh, new church plant, uh, which included a lot of, as you know, the Apostle Paul's mode of operation was to go to, he would go to the synagogues because he was a rabbi and he would go to the synagogues and he would teach from the scriptures and he would say, these point to Jesus and Jesus is the way of salvation. And, and what generally happened was many, many of the believers in the synagogue said, yes, we see that from the Bible. And and others said, no, we don't. And and so then there would be 
a bit of a division and and the, those who followed uh, what the apostle Paul was teaching would would start gathering separately and then Gentiles started coming as well and becoming part of this uh, new congregation and and that had been happening quite a bit on Paul's missionary journeys and so the apostle Peter came up from Jerusalem to see what was going on and and he was enjoying the fellowship with the people but then another group came along and they said no well it's okay for these Gentiles uh, to become part of the covenant community, but uh, actually they have to be circumcised and they have to they have to submit to uh, the law of Moses, the whole law of Moses. Well, both Peter and Paul disagreed with that, and for whatever reason, however, uh, Peter began to withdraw his fellowship from the Gentiles, and maybe he just wanted to uh, be able to communicate with these these new folks without alienating them. I don't know for sure what motivated him. Uh, but, but the Apostle Paul saw this as a principal issue, not just something you take them aside privately and, and discuss, but it was, it was influencing the whole congregation. In fact, he said, all the Jewish brethren started withdrawing from the Gentiles. And not only that, uh, the uh, even Barnabas, who was one of his co-workers, who had been so helpful, began withdrawing. And what it was communicating, it's not what Peter believed, it's not what Barnabas believed, uh, but what it communicated was, look, you have to live up to a certain standard before you're acceptable. And it didn't mean just acceptable to us, but acceptable to God. And the Apostle Paul said, no, this is a gospel issue. If you want to let the law of Moses uh, take you to heaven, then that is a way that God provided. And if you, as long as you follow it perfectly without any shortcomings at all, that'll get you there. Too late for me. <laughs> Too late for most all of us, isn't it? But, but Jesus has come and done it for us. Jesus has come in order to rescue us. Peter believed that. It was his action that was speaking louder than his words. And that was the reason for this confrontation. And then the Apostle Paul goes and explains what he said as he, as he discusses it with Peter. He said, let me find the place here. He said, you and I are Jews. And yet, up till this point, We've been adapting to the Gentiles, not, not, not morally wrong things, but adapting to the customs of, of the Gentiles. And if you and I, though we're Jews, live like Gentiles, how can we require the Gentiles to live like Jews? And he goes on to say, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, which was sort of the Jewish attitude towards Gentiles at that time. Yet we know that a person is not justified, that is, declared righteous in God's sight by God himself. It's a, it's a verdict. By works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. So whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, no matter what your background 
There's one way to be right with God, and God has provided that way, and that's through faith in Jesus, what he has done. Peter agreed with that. Paul agreed with that. Uh, but Paul said, Peter, you're sort, of, you're sort of denying that by your conduct. And when you read the New Testament, you discover that Peter actually agreed with the Apostle Paul at that point and, and repented, and, and the two of them went on as co-workers and as friends after that speaking highly of one another. And so there's an encouragement that um, if someone as great as the Apostle Peter could fall short in that way and yet receive the rebuke with grace, uh, then how about the rest of us? Of course we can. Of course we can also uh, follow along that way. Well, the verse I wanted uh, to us to think about this morning has to do with uh, what... The Apostle Paul went on to say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Two basic points, but the point had to do with answering Peter in front of the rest of the congregation. How do we get right with God? How are we accepted by God? And if we are accepted by God as a free gift through faith plus nothing, then what's to keep us from living like the devil? Isn't, is there anything to keep us from just living lives that are terrible? Because if we get into heaven as a free gift, then why not live lives that are terrible? And this is the question that he's answering in this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So the two basic points I'd like us to see this morning are, are number one, God himself in the person of Jesus Christ rescues sinners because of his sheer grace. And number two, the Holy Spirit takes that saving accomplishment of Jesus and applies it personally uh, to uh, people so that they come to Christ and experience that salvation. And what makes Bible Christianity unique is that it's the one and only rescue religion. If you, if you, if you study religion, this is an oversimplification, but it's, it's not false. All religions, and in fact, many forms of Christianity, which are not Bible Christianity, uh, say that in order to get your life straight, in order to get right with God, you have to do this or that or something else, or these steps of things. But the Bible says, no, uh, you can't do it. You've already fallen short of doing what God, the holy God, requires. But the good news is God himself has come in the person of Jesus and done it for you uh, so that by his life he performed all the duty we owe to God and by his death on the cross he paid all the debt that we owe to God, which is why it was impossible for death to hold him. He came back to life. He resurrected from the dead. So Jesus rescues sinners by purchasing that rescue, that salvation for them. And if you've got this verse in front of you, notice that it says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So who is the one who loves? 
Why, it's the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity. From eternity past, there is one God existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is the one who uh, took on the responsibility of coming to rescue people. He added to himself a human nature. That's called the incarnation. He became flesh. He continued to be God, but he also became fully human. He's the Son of God, who is just as holy as the Father and as the Holy Spirit, but also just as loving as the Father and the Holy Spirit. So in love, he came to rescue us. And it's his, he's also called Christ, which isn't really a name, it's a title, like Governor Whitmer. Governor isn't her name, um, but it's her title, it's her office. Christ Jesus, Christ isn't his name, it's his office. It means that he, the anointed one or the Messiah It means that he was anointed to be prophet, priest, and king. And he comes as one who is both God and human, and he's the one who loves us. And who is it that he loves? And the Apostle Paul put it this way, the the Son of God who loved me. He loved me. And the Apostle Paul saw himself as a sinner, one who falls short of God's holy standards, Actually, he was a pretty good man. <laughs> when he described, when he gave his own testimony, he said he really had, had kept all the Ten Commandments very, very carefully until he came to the tenth, you shall not covet. And it's almost like, it, like his experience. What, he said, that's the one that made me realize that I, I fell short of God's holy standard. It's almost like he said, I, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I haven't done those things that God says not to do. But then the 10th commandment said, yeah, but you're not allowed to want to either. And that's where he said, but, oh, I fall short. But the, but the living God, the Son of God, knowing the Apostle Paul, knowing me, who hasn't kept all the 10 commandments like the Apostle Paul had, um, still loves. His love is sovereign. His love is in spite of our sins. In fact, the New Testament says even while we were enemies, he loved us and gave his life for us. And that's the next question. How does he show his love? And if you're looking at this verse, it says he loved me and gave himself for me. That is, on the cross, he died that atoning death. And the cross was an especially abhorrent way of dying. Now, the Romans actually devised it as a way of Uh, scaring people from rebelling against the Roman Empire. It was really for the worst of criminals who were were seditious or or rebels against the authority of Rome, and they wanted to scare people, and they would would basically torture them to death. They, They just developed a way of causing people to die a shameful death that took a long time and was exceedingly painful and was very public and very shameful. And this was the death that Jesus died, but it was even more abhorrent uh, to those who were steeped in the scriptures uh, because in the book of Leviticus it says, cursed are those who are hanged on a tree. So what it meant was, to, to the Jewish mind, was this was not just to be rejected by human, this is also to be rejected by God. And so that being suspended between earth and heaven meant, yes, um, 
despised and rejected by men, but also forsaken by God, rejected by God. And you might remember on the cross, Jesus quoted Psalm 22 and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this was why, not because he deserved it, but because I deserve it. And he was dying in my place. He loved me and gave himself for me because you deserve it. He loved you and gave himself for you. And before we go on from this, notice how personal all this is. It's, it's tempting to think, yeah, if I just get my thoughts straight about the right things to believe, or if I just get my behavior straight, straight about the right way to behave, uh, say the right things, do the right things, avoid doing the wrong things, then I, then I can receive salvation from Jesus. Jesus did it, but, but it's sort of like me going to a drive-thru, and I, you know, I, talk through the, I talk through the microphone, and, and they talk through the speaker, and, and then I pay my money, and I get my stuff. And that's how some people tend to think of uh, the Christian faith, but that's not what that's not what Jesus does. It's it's a personal connection with Jesus. Jesus loved me and gave Himself for me. His love is personal, and our response also has to be personal. So Jesus rescues sinners by securing salvation by paying for it, by paying for that rescue. But the Holy Spirit then takes that rescue and he brings it to bear on individuals. And he does so in two ways. So on the one hand, those who believe in Jesus are in Christ. And if you have this verse in front of you, notice that it says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. The Apostle Paul could say that, and everyone who follows Jesus can say that. Well, when when does that take place? Well, it's not something that's going on in the present. It's not something that's to go on in the future. It's not something that we are to do. It's something that's been done to us, and it's been done in the past. I have been crucified with Christ. But how could that be? I mean, the Apostle Paul wasn't literally hanged on the cross with Jesus. And I definitely wasn't. That's 2,000 years ago. But how can that be? Well, one of, the, one of the main descriptions of believers in Jesus that the New Testament uses is called in Christ. Uh, in fact, when, when the Bible talks about believing in Christ, literally it says believe into Christ. You come into this literal connection. The Holy Spirit makes a supernatural link Uh, between the individual and Christ. And that's called union with Christ. And it has two aspects. The one side is legal and the other side is vital or has to do with life. But on the legal side, what it means is that God, well, what does he do? It's an amazing thing. Uh, the, The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be a curse for us. Who knew sin? He took he took our sinful record and he counted it as Jesus's, and he took Jesus's perfect record and he counts it as ours. That's the legal uh, side of this union with Christ, this connection with Christ, uh, so that God 
counts us as righteous for free through faith alone. That's what the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were talking about. Not that they disagreed with the theory, but but that the practice of Peter in that particular moment was kind of drowning out uh, that truth. It was sort of communicating a different message. It was basically saying to the Gentiles, no, you have to do more. You have to do something on your own before you're acceptable. But no, it's what Jesus has done that makes us acceptable with God and with one another. But this union with Christ has not only a a legal aspect, but it also has a vital aspect that is a life-giving aspect. Jesus described it this way. He said, it's like I'm a vine and you are the branches. And he's picturing uh, the grapevines as they grew them in the Middle East. And it grew up, if you've seen pictures of them, they grew up kind of like a tree uh, about this high, a fairly thick vine. And then lots of branches would go out and those would be covered with grapes. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If the branch isn't connected to the vine, it has no life. If the branch is connected to the vine, it has life and it produces fruit. And Jesus said, therefore abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit. There's new life Uh, new behavior. So on the one hand, believers are in Christ because the Holy Spirit attaches us to Christ supernaturally uh, through faith. But on the other side, Christ is in believers. So if you look closely at this verse again, notice that it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And see, that's the foundation of all uh, Christian living. It's not just pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and straighten your life out. But no, it is hang on to Jesus and he will straighten your life out. It's Christ who lives in me. Well, how can Christ live in you? Uh, The night before he was crucified, Jesus and his disciples met in the upper room and and they had, they had Passover together, and Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper at that particular meeting. But then he was also teaching them and preparing them, saying, I'm going to be going away. And they kept saying, well, well where are you going? Why can't we go with you? And Jesus kept answering those questions, but he said, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I will come back to you. And then he began talking about sending the Holy Spirit. And he explained that the world won't be able to see this, but you'll see it. Those of you who believe and follow me in faith, you will see it, you'll experience it, because the Holy Spirit will come and will dwell in you. And by means of the Holy Spirit, both I and the Father will dwell in you. It's by means of the Holy Spirit that Christ lives in us. And so Jesus rescues us, he secures that rescue, he applies that rescue, and his rescue is the double cure for all our shortcomings, all our sins. Christ lives in me, but keep looking at this verse. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died and gave himself for me. Christ lives me, 
lives in me, but at the same time, I now live in the flesh. See, this is what gives rise to the great tension in the Christian life. On the one hand, Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20, but on the other hand, I now live in the flesh, or the way the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 7, verse 20, sin lives in me. Christ lives in me, and sin lives in me. Now, many believers get thrown off at this point. In fact, when I, when I came to a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, I was a young, I was a young adult. I had grown up in, in a church home, but to me, Christ, Christianity was just a matter of being good and, of, and not being bad. That's what, that's what I thought uh, the Christian faith was. But, but as a young adult, I came to realize, well, no, I can never be good enough, uh, but, but it's not just a matter of being good, but it's a matter of having a living relationship with, with a living Savior. And... And he's been good enough for me. And God counts his goodness as mine. Uh, and so I, I put my trust in Jesus as my Savior and began following him. But, but I became deeply troubled because it seemed like I was, I was worse than ever. At least my thoughts and attitudes and desires seemed to be worse than they were before. I, I had less peace. There was... There was more of a struggle. I felt more guilty uh, than I did before. I put my trust in, in Jesus as my Savior. And I, it made me wonder, can I really be a Christian? I, I must not really be a Christian. I just deceived myself uh, about this because the struggle was so great. But the Bible says, actually, that's what you should expect because on the one hand, Christ lives in you, but at the same time, sin lives in you when you follow Jesus. And now, the Holy Spirit starts making war against the flesh, our sinful nature, but, and the flesh starts making war against the Holy Spirit so that when you come to Jesus, it's not as if there's just perfect peace from then on in this life, but it's actually war. You become a walking civil war. And... And the, and the flesh or the, the sin that remains in you doesn't want to submit to Christ and Christ won't allow you to just indulge the flesh or the sin. And it's no wonder that the Christian life is such a struggle. And many young believers and many old believers as well struggle at exactly this point. Why do I have all these this inner conflict if I really am a believer. I must not really be a believer. And, and as a pastor, I've seen this over and over again where people come to church and they, they look around and say, oh man, I'm, in, I'm having such a struggle. But everyone else in the building has, has it all together. Everyone except me. <laughs> so I can never really admit what my life is really like. But the, the secret is everybody else was feeling the same way. Because our hope is not in ourselves, our hope is in Jesus. Which is why, and if, you're, if you keep looking at this verse, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's why we need to live by faith in the Son of God. And to live by faith means it's an ongoing thing. It's step by step. It's day after day. I live by faith 
in the Son of God. Not just having a transaction at the beginning of the Christian life and then going your own way, but actually walking with Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus. So step by step, living by faith in the Son of God. Not by faith in my own ability, but by faith in, in the grace and ability of the Son of God. It's also personal. I live by faith in the Son of God. Not just in my doctrinal understanding, not just in my willpower, not just in my behavior, not just in belonging to the right church or organization, but being connected to the Son of God who resurrected from the dead as a living Savior and dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. But it's also dependent. I live by faith in the Son of God. Back when Jesus was getting his disciples ready for him to die on the cross and then, um, and then ascend to heaven, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Remain in me, stay, keep a close connection to me by faith. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need constantly to be reminded of that. But how do we abide in how do we abide in Jesus? Remember my old pastor, uh, Lou Grotenhaus, who was my pastor when I was a brand new Christian, uh, saying, "Diligently use the means of grace." <laughs> that was what he sounded. No, I'm not sure that's quite what he sounded like. But I used to imitate him. But what he meant by that was the tools that God uses to give grace to us. But they're also the tools that God has given that we can have faith in him, which basically is the Bible and prayer and baptism and the Lord's Supper. That is, these are the tools by which he communicates his, his, himself and his grace to us and by which we respond in faith. Or the way I like to put it is keep breathing in God's word, keep breathing out your prayers. Keep breathing in God's word. Keep breathing out your prayers. Keep breathing in God's word. Keep breathing out your prayers. And if you're ever in a, a bad accident and you're going into shock or have gone into shock and, and the first responder gets there, one of the, one of the first things that, that person will say is, keep breathing, keep breathing. And we go into all sorts of trauma in our lives, emotional trauma, relational trauma, physical trauma, and we're tempted to stop. I, I can't take any more Bible for now. <laughs> I can't take any more prayer for now. And maybe our Bible reading will be ragged and not very, not all that we'd like it to be, and maybe our prayers will be ragged and not all that we would like it to be, but I think the counsel of God's word is still what the first responder says. Keep breathing. Keep breathing. Even if it's not ideal, just keep breathing. Don't stop. What this verse shows us, in a nutshell, is that in Christ, God changes not only your status, but also he changes you. He not only counts you as righteous, but also he makes you righteous. So that when you come to Jesus, you begin to have new desires. So picture a teenage boy and his parents are 
are sort of discouraged because he, he can't seem to keep his room clean. And, and so they keep saying, son, put your, pick up your clothes and put them in the laundry and, and clean up your room. And it doesn't smell so great, so why don't you take a shower while you're, while you're at it? And, and, but the son keeps saying, meh. <laughs> he doesn't care. But then one day he's at school and, and he looks across the room and, and his eyes meet the eyes of this girl and her eyes meet his eyes and, and all of a sudden he's smitten and, and he says hi to her and she smiles at him and, she, and they, they chat a little bit and, and then he comes home and he picks up his dirty clothes and he throws them in the hamper and, and he, he cleans up his room and he takes a shower and and he starts putting on deodorant and, oh, you know, he changes his behavior. Why did he change his behavior? Because his desires had changed, because he has this new affection in his life. And so it is when we come to Jesus. That's sort of a miniature illustration. But, but when you come to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes inside you, he gives you new desires. That's the source of that conflict. Before I came to Jesus, I was content the way I was. I, I was life was kind of smooth sailing in many ways uh, because there was not that inner conflict. But, but when I had new desires and wanted to please God, wanted to be like Jesus, then I wasn't content with the way I was. And I began making changes because I wanted to. But how do you have the strength to do that? And again, it's Jesus working in you by the Holy Spirit that gives you new ability, new power, power to do what you couldn't bring yourself to do. I used to be involved in prison ministry, and, and I, I, I saw people, knew people, had the experience of seeing people who had been addicted uh, to, to drugs, to alcohol, to substances, who were able to break those habits uh, by the power of Jesus. It wasn't easy, uh, but they had a new ability that they had not had uh, before. I've seen people, men addicted to pornography, able to break those habits by the power of Jesus, this supernatural power. It wasn't overnight, presto changeo, uh, but it was a change, a real change and substantial progress uh, thanks to this new power. In a nutshell, God's rescue us of us in Christ is both free and full. And I, used to, I often, especially when there are lots of kids, I, I say, okay, kids, when your dad asks you this afternoon what was the sermon about, I'd say, this is, this is what you can tell him, and, th- and this, is, this is what it is, that in Jesus Christ, God's rescue of us is both free and full. Salvation in Christ is free so that when you entrust yourself to Jesus, God forgives all your sins, past, present, and future. He counts you as perfectly righteous, just as righteous as Jesus is, and he treats you that way. From then on, the Bible assures you there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, salvation in Christ is full. In Jesus, you can keep having fresh forgiveness. So day after day, 
as we realize, I keep falling short. I'm still falling short. Well, this is why we had a prayer of confession and worship. And in our daily uh, walk with the Lord, we need to confess our sins. And we can confess our sins with the hope that there's always fresh forgiveness. The Lord's mercies are new every day. You can keep making fresh starts. So you, you have one step forward and three steps back in, on some day, but you can make a fresh start. And you can keep making fresh starts. And you can keep having fresh strength in Jesus Christ. Are you resting in Jesus alone for your salvation? When you can say yes to that, when you can say, yes, I am resting in Jesus alone for my salvation, then I can know that Christ is for me. He loved me and gave himself for me. You can know that Christ is for you. He loved you and gave himself for you. And at the same time, you can know that Christ is in you. Christ for you and Christ in you. We're going to sing a hymn that asks Jesus, Be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt. That's our liability to punishment. And power. The vital relationship to Jesus. I mean the legal relationship to Jesus. The vital relationship to Jesus. Do you believe that? Let's believe it together. As our prayer of response, let's sing that hymn. Uh, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let's see. Hymn 499. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let 
forgotten the Nicene Creed. We'll come back to it in just a, just a moment. But the Lord wants us to get that message that Jesus is of sin the double pure. Christ for you, Christ in you. Uh, therein lies our hope. And, and a lot like a parent who is comforting a little child who's, who's insecure um, a lot like that parent, uh, the Lord doesn't just settle for just saying it, but he shows it. Doesn't, that parent just doesn't say, well, we love you, mommy and daddy love you, don't worry. Now, that parent shows it with hugs and kisses. Well, baptism and the Lord's Supper are the Lord's hugs and kisses. I mean, we're covenant creatures and we're used to that. Two men make an agreement and what do they do? They shake on it. Or the, the mom or dad says... Don't worry, mom and dad love you. And they reinforce it with hugs and kisses. Or the bride and the groom at the altar, uh, they say their vows and then, and then they uh, seal it with a kiss. And the Lord's Supper, the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, are the Lord's way of saying to us, Jesus ordained it for this purpose, yes, I really mean my promises. So much so that the Holy Spirit is actually at work through uh, the supper, uh, through, the, through the water of baptism, through the bread and wine of the supper. And he, he communicates, he, he gives grace, he gives help. In one sense, it's not just breathing in the Bible, but it's breathing in the Bible as it's put in the form of these hugs and kisses at the Lord's table. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and I will give you rest. Uh, he says, whoever comes to me I will by no means drive away. If you have come to Jesus personally, uh, trusted him as your savior and publicly committed yourself to him uh, by joining a church that professes Christ, he invites you to come uh, to this table. And if you have not, don't feel obliged to as a form of politeness, but just feel free to observe and uh, listen. But since faith is the spiritual mouth by which we eat the bread of life and feed on Jesus in our hearts, let's go back to the Nicene Creed and confess our faith together. Whom do you trust? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. 
He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, who shall be child no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Lift up your hearts. We live in the mind of the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Almighty God, source of all life and love, with joy we thank and praise you that we live in this world that you've created, that you are always upholding by the word of your power. Thank you that you've made us in such a way that we can know you, that we can love you and experience your love, that we can trust you. Uh, and experience your help, that we can serve you and see fruit. Uh, thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever puts their trust in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you that Jesus became one of us, that he lived a perfect life on earth to perform for us all the duty that we owe to you, that he suffered and died an atoning death to pay for us all the debt that we owe to you, that he rose again triumphant over sin and death, that he ascended to his royal throne at your right hand, that he's now always present by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on all flesh, uh, that he is returning in power and glory to finish and perfect and consummate that good work that he's, be that he's begun. Thank you that we can live in the confident hope that your kingdom will come and that both in this life as well as in death and beyond death, you are with us. Therefore, with all the company of heaven and with all your people of all times and all places, we proclaim your greatness and praise you. O triune God of grace, by what we do here at your table, we remember what Jesus has done to rescue us. We rely on the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing to bring Christ's work to bear on us. We recommit ourselves to you and to one another in you. And we ready ourselves for our Lord's return in power and glory. And to that end, we pray that by your Holy Spirit and through faith, we may commune in the body of Christ by means of the bread and in the blood of Christ by means of the wine. As we eat and drink our, at our Lord's command, please connect us vitally to Jesus and to one another as one body in him. Please strengthen us to serve you in the world. And to you, one holy and everlasting God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give praise and glory now and forever. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
The bread that we break is a participation in the body of Christ. The cup of blessing that we bless is participation in the blood of Christ. Let's stand together and respond by singing hymn 598, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. up your hearts and receive God's blessing. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
please be seated, and a uh, very good morning to you all. It is uh, wonderful to worship with you today. Um, I direct your attention mostly to our Life Together insert. Uh, there's not, at least I don't have, a lot of off-script announcements. Um, we do have our uh, concluding lesson in Gentle and Lowly this uh, Lord's Day with uh, Mr. Kelly. We'll be leading, so... Um, even if you have been kind of intermittently involved, uh, perhaps come for the grand finale of that. Uh, we will not have Christian education next week, um, just sort of a kind of an odd transition week between the end of this series and, uh, and uh, with Pastor Wilson being gone and a fellowship meal the subsequent week. Uh, so for one, for one week only, you can fellowship as long as you want. The town crier will not come through and uh, make you feel uh, badly about it. So uh, enjoy. You can savor that coffee. You can have that second bag of Cheetos, whatever it is you want to do ne- next week. But for this week, uh, please join us here for Gentle and Lowly. Um, our new class will begin uh, the week after the fellowship meal, so October the 8th, um, and that will be on narrative apologetics. Um, there's a book that you know we're um, largely basing on, which maybe we can send out more information if, uh, for those interested in reading along. I think largely led uh, by Pastor Wilson, but probably intermittently uh, by all of the uh, members of the session. Um, as I said, everything else uh, still uh, in the life together. Please remember to, uh, as much as possible, uh, let us show our love for the world around us with generosity, uh, with food for the deacon's pantry, and uh, donations to the uh, Arab American Friendship Center. Um, and uh, there is uh, information on upcoming conferences, Celebrate Recovery, uh, Women's Prayer, and all those, um, and uh, the, the uh, weekly Bible study as well. So, um, also, of course, uh, a big thank you to Larry Wilson, who for uh, who I think is around the corner back there. But um, anyway, but uh, thank you f- to uh, to uh, uh, Larry for uh, joining us this morning. And um, assuming we don't scare him off in the next few minutes, he will also be uh, here to lead us next week as well. So, um, any other announcements from the floor? Seeing none, we will uh, move to fellowship time and see you shortly for Christian education.